welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Here it's our goal, uh, as we just said, to to engage with God's Word, to have a dialogue around God's Word, and that's why we, we love interacting with these, with different questions of the text as we're as we're walking through it Sunday after Sunday, and we've been in the book of Nehemiah here for, oh, nine, eight, nine weeks now, and uh, and we're just walking through it section by section, and and um, I've loved, I've just been so encouraged by how many people I've heard from it who just said, man, Nehemiah is such a neat book, and it really is. It's such a such a neat book, not just on the the significance of Nehemiah's leadership abilities, right? There's so much we can just glean from this book on how Nehemiah handles himself, on the way that he addresses difficult situations. And we've seen that in in the book as we've walked along. But more than that, there's there's also just this this beauty of watching God uh, take his people who were in exile. And like this morning, as we're in chapter nine here, uh, the people that were in exile because of their sin and the sins of their fathers and then the generational brokenness that they not only engaged in, but uh, but fostered these patterns of uh, of disordered desires and of sin and of rebellion, and and yet God is abundantly faithful to them, and so so we stand in that here today on this side of the cross, right? You know, they were on on the on the other side of the cross. The Jesus had not come yet. God had promised the Messiah, yet we're standing here on the side of human history uh, after the cross, where Jesus has come and He's made a way for us, and God's. God has not forsaken us. He's he, He's made himself known so that we can know him and we can enjoy him and we can walk in the abundance of the goodness of the life that he has for us. And so we're on that side of the cross, and yet we get to look back and watch how God has and is redeeming his people in and through the book of Nehemiah, not just the, for, the, for the physical work of rebuilding the walls, but for the real dug down deep spiritual formation that they are encountering. And so so here today, we're actually going to get caught up on a few questions that came in after some of the sermons over the past couple of weeks, and then we're, we're going to walk through some of the questions that were uh, texted in today here on, on Sunday, October 23rd, as we are in chapter 9 in the book of Nehemiah. We're in that, in that three-chapter unit within the larger book, 8, 9, and 10, uh, and that three-chapter unit is describing the formation of a faithful people, right? The physical work is done, the wall has been rebuilt, the city has been restored, um, and so, and the people have moved back, the exiles have come back. And so God is now in the process of doing that, that inner work for the people. He's forming them into a faithful people. And he's been doing that along, all along the way. And through the physical work of the wall, he's been doing that, but we're seeing it in concentrated form here in chapters eight, nine, and 10. And today we are in chapter, chapter nine, but going back to um, a sermon from a few weeks ago, there's this question came in and it's, it asks, is the goal to understand God or is the understanding we we are seeking an understanding of his law and his word? How can we better understand God's will? Um, that's, that's a great question, right? And this is something that we have seen throughout the entirety of our series. We said it again this morning here that Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah knew who he was because he knew whose he was, right? There's this key conviction of identity because I belong to God, because I belong to the household of God. The centrality of my life is to honor God, is to glorify God, is to bring him praise, right? Is to do life the way that God wants me to do life. Why? Because, because I belong to him, you know? And so identity, uh, I, this identity saturation of Nehemiah is, 
is just seen all throughout. And again, we're in, we're in chapter nine and we're, and we're beginning to see, we're seeing this identity saturation work in the people of God. And so it's not just merely for them an understanding of the law, right? Of the written law. Uh, Paul will go on to say in Romans that the law was given to us um, to, to really to expose our sin, you know? And, um, and, and so, it, and, and what the law does for us is it points us back to our need, our need that we are sinful, that we're rebellious, that we're broken, that we need a savior, one that would make us whole. The law also, as it exposes our sin, uh, it points us then to, in, in our inadequacy, if we're not able to save ourselves, well, then who is? So even in that, it's reflective and it is, it is uh, describing Jesus, the one who is perfect. In Isaiah chapter 9, the one, um, the, the government would be on his shoulders, the prince of peace, right? They're literally the prince of shalom, the Hebrew word there for peace is shalom. Um, and it literally means uh, the peace of wholeness. The shalom in a Hebrew idea is not just being at peace as being not in conflict. There's that part of it, but there's a deeper sense to shalom. And that is, that is being whole, with, uh, with, with everything, right? Being in its restored original purpose. So the only one that brings us into that state of peace, that state of completion, that state of wholeness is Jesus himself. So even as we get to know the law of God, it is reflective. It clarifies for who we are, but it also points to Jesus. So uh, the first part of the question, is the goal to understand God or is the understanding we are seeking an understanding of his law and his word? As we understand what we believe about the Bible, we believe that the Bible is the inspired, revealed Word of God, and that as the inspired, revealed Word of God, it reveals who God is. It reveals who God is and His plans for us, His precepts, His truths, right? Uh, we heard it in Nehemiah chapter 9, they rejected your good law, uh, even though God, God came down to them. That's the language of Nehemiah there. In chapter 9, God came down to them. God met with them on Sinai, and he gave them the good law. He gave them good rules. He gave them good statutes, right? These, this, is what, this is what Nehemiah says in chapter 9 there. So as we get to know God's word, uh, this inspired, written word, um, uh, the Bible, uh, as we get to know uh, that, we are literally getting to know God. And if John is correct in John chapter 1, um, because, the, especially in the New Testament, as it describes Jesus in the Gospels, uh, as we get to know Jesus in the Gospels, we are getting to know the very image of the invisible God. That's what John said in chapter 1 of his, of his, of his Gospel, the prologue there, the setup to the Gospel of John. He said that Jesus came in grace and truth. He gave us grace upon grace through him, and that he literally made uh, he literally is the uh, the image of God. Um, Paul will go on to say it in Colossians that he's the very he's the very visible image of the invisible God, right? So as we get to know as we get to know God's word, as we gain understanding of God's word, we are gaining understanding of God Himself because He's been He's revealed Himself in and through His word. And so, so yes, is is the goal to understand God? Uh, it's it's to know God. It's to understand 
his, his motivations. It's to understand his precepts, his truths. It's to understand his values. And we don't do that on our own. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Even you heard it in Nehemiah. God gave him, God gave the people his spirit, right? His spirit was revealing to them, right? Um, so, so even in, the, in an Old Testament sense and context, uh, the spirit was at work. Uh, now in the, in the New Testament sense of the context, right? We are in the church age, um, that the spirit, Jesus said that the helper would come, right? One that would come to help us is here. The spirit is indwelt within us. Paul will go on to remind us that the spirit is in us as a, as a guarantee, as a down payment, um, as one that would remind us of God's salvation that is happening in us and will happen completely in the age age to come, right? Um, and so what that means, what, what Paul is reminding us, and John will reflect this truth as well um, in his letters, that what God is reminding us in that he's given us his spirit is that he's good for it, that he hasn't abandoned us, that he hasn't forgotten us, that he is good for our complete restoration in the age to come, right? Uh, so is the goal to understand God? Well, yes. Um, and how do we do that? We do that by understanding God's word, by getting to know God uh, in his word, hiding his law in our heart, right? The laws that are good, that that aren't bad, right? Um, but but ultimately, uh, it's is found its fulfillment in Christ. So how do we how would we better understand God's will? I think the first step is that we, we first understand the word of God. Right, as we saturate ourselves, as we devote ourselves uh, to the Word of God, then we'll, we'll better to understand God's will. Why? Because in God's Word, He's revealed His plans and His purposes for us. Now, that's to understand God's will in the most general sense. Like, if we ask the question, how do I understand God's will in this specific sense for you or for me as individuals, well, we do that, A, first, by devoting ourselves to God's, uh, God's Word, because what's His general will for all people, well, it's that we would know Jesus and know him as Savior. Secondly, that we would grow to be like Jesus. Thirdly, that in the Great Commission, that we would go and then carry the good news of the gospel to the very ends of the earth, right? And for you and for me, it's 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 not just to the ends of the earth, but it's especially to be faithful in the everyday spheres of relationship that we are, that we've been placed in, right? So that's God's general will for all people. Know, know Jesus as Savior Grow in your likeliness, likelihood, or like likeness of Jesus, right? Put on Jesus' values more tomorrow than you did today. And then thirdly, go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Now, uh, God's specific will for your life, my life, those kind of things, we, we, we discern that the, God's will through other believers, with other believers. So am I called into ministry? Well, if I'm called into ministry, I better have some affirmation of other people in my life. Um, who am I going to marry? God gives us great freedom and autonomy on that subject, right? Uh, he tells us in his word very clearly, marry somebody who is also a Christian, okay? Uh, marriage is not an evangelism project. Um, and again, it, this is I, t- I tell this to students all the time in their dating relationships. If your friends don't like the person you're dating, that's a major red flag. If your family doesn't like the person you're dating, that should be a major red flag, especially if your family, especially, let me get this qualifier, if your family is pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly, right? If the values of the kingdom are their values and they're going, hey, I just don't know about this person, 
you, you should really consider that. Are your friends, uh, other godly, mature, godly people affirming you in your pursuit of your potential uh, spouse? Right? If they're not, if they're telling you to tap the brakes, you should listen to that, right? And, and that goes to so many other areas of our lives. Well, where should I study for college? There's a ton of places, but you need the you need the guidance of other more, more mature believers in your corner, right? So, we, we study God's word, we understand God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit, because we're getting to know God uh, specifically in that. And, and then we find his general will. Know Jesus as Savior, uh, grow to be like Jesus, proclaim Jesus wherever you go. Um, that's God's will for everybody at all times and all places. Then we get to the particulars of God's will. We, we sort those out through with, with the accountability of other more mature believers. And just remember this. God's specific will for your life will never violate God's word, okay? If you feel like God is calling you to do something, and yet scripture has called that sin or has given examples where that's not healthy or productive, uh, then then don't do it, okay? God's will will never violate God's word. Uh, in that, as we talk about getting to know God, we've also talked about this idea of complacency and uh, familiarity or uh, intimacy with God. So this question comes and it says, uh, do you think we get complacent with our familiarity with God or do you think we get complacent with our familiarity with God is why our understanding of God is taken for granted? I think I think completely. I think I think as we grow complacent with God or as we as we as we continue to grow undelighted by God, right? As our hearts grow cold, uh, Revelation. Uh, we've, we will see it in the book of Revelation um, and to the church in Ephesus. I believe it's in chapter three. I'm quoting off the top of my head here, but I believe it's in chapter three. Um, is that uh, Jesus's words to the church in Ephesus is that you've lost your first love. The church in Ephesus, they had they had right social action and they had right theology, right? They knew the answers to the, the theology test, okay? They could answer those questions correctly on a test, but they'd lost their first love. They'd lost their love and their intimacy for Christ. And they'd, they'd stopped delighted in God and what he was doing in them and through them. And so, so Jesus's words to the church in, in Ephesus and Revelation aren't just simply that you're, you're believing the wrong things or you're doing the wrong things. It's, it's actually that you've, you've lost your love for me. And, and that should serve as a, as a warning for each and every one of us is that we're going to go through seasons. We go through, we go through seasons of great growth and, and really profound faith, we might say, where we just feel so in tune and connected with God. And yet we go through very dry seasons, very dry patches in our faith and our walk with Christ. And, and in those dry patches um, where, where we just, we're just maybe not feeling as connected to God, we, we, need to, we need to not grow complacent. We need to make sure that we're not, we don't stop delighting in the Lord or remembering what God has done. Um, and in that, I think that's just as this question said, do you think we get complacent with our familiarity with God? So we grow complacent with God and uh, we know a whole bunch about God, but we're, but, uh, we're not really intimate with God anymore, uh, is why our understanding for God is taken for granted. I think so. I think so. I've heard it said this way, uh, before about the American church is that one of the realities of the American church is that we're educated beyond our obedience, right? We know more about God. We have more resources for the study of God's word, right? Um, our church provides Right Now Media for every family, every person in our church, right? When you go to Right Now Media, there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of resources and Bible study materials. 
You go to the Bible Project. They have video overviews of every book in the Bible, right? There's no shortage of resources for us to learn truths about who God is. But just as we saw with the Pharisees in the New Testament, just because they were learning about God does not mean that they were gaining intimacy with God. And so, um, so and I've heard it said that way that uh, about the American church, that we are educated beyond our obedience, is that we know so much and we have so many resources for our intellectual development, uh, our theological intellectual development, yet uh, we, so, we, we so struggle to put those things into practice, into the substance of our lives. And so part of, part of uh, intimacy with God is not just a factual knowledge, that's familiarity. But part of intimacy with God is actually obeying God and walking with God in our every, in our everyday lives. And so, especially in those dry seasons, we have to be particularly cautious, particularly aware that the um, the, the, the the thing that's at risk, the thing that is uh, a, vul- a vulnerability in that dry season, uh, is is not some like egregious sin, right? It's not that we're going to go, oh, well, you know, when I was walking with God, I knew murder was wrong, but now that I'm in this dry spell, hey, who knows, right? Like, we're not, I mean, just think of like the, the biggest, most egregious sin you could ever think through. When we're walking in those, in those dry seasons, the, the greatest risk is not some egregious sin. It is, it is growing complacent. It is growing familiar with God and not, not, not continuing to be intimate with God, uh, particularly in, in our everyday lives, in our obedience. And so... So, um, yeah, we, we, we want to continue to grow in our intimacy with God, even those dry seasons, uh, that comes through that, those, those actions of obedience, right? Uh, and, and this morning, as we, we were talking, one of the things that we were talking about, those actions that we, those actions that we have, especially in those dry seasons, I think not only as we talk about sin this morning here together, we, we so quickly begin to think of our sin, or so default, our, our default when it comes to the theology of sin, harmardiology is, the, um, is the, the technical term there for the theology of sin. And it comes from the, from the, the Greek word um, uh, for, for sin. And so, um, so our doctrine of sin, we, we send our, our default as Americans tends to be sin is my wrong individual action against God. And that's not wrong. Uh, but as we said this morning, it's just not the complete picture of sin, right? So sin is about our wrong actions, uh, but it also comes from a place of deficiency where we uh, feel like we are not all that we could be. And so in order to be all that we could be, we have to take the reins of our own lives. Um, you know, sometimes in the American mindset, we say, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Now there's a grit and the determinism within, we could say our social lives that is not bad by that. But in terms of our spiritual lives, um, the gospel does not say save yourself. The gospel has always said and will always say uh, that you are not able to save yourself. You're not able to pull yourself up by your spiritual uh, bootstraps. And, and and instead, what you need to do is that uh, that what we do is that we place our faith in Christ because he's the one who has come to save us. He's the one that's come to redeem us and make us whole, right? We can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us. Um, and, and so when we think about sin, um, we, we sometimes forget or we don't think about the impacts of our sin and uh, the deficiency mindset that we bring to with our sin lives or our sin natures um, and the dominion that sin has over us in our hearts and our minds that we have been set free from and we are being set free from and one day we will be completely set free from, right, um, has on other generations. And so 
Uh, on the flip side of that, I also would encourage us here to think about our righteousness and choosing to do righteousness, to live rightly, especially in those dry seasons when our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers see us choosing to live and to follow Jesus uh, in, in the seasons that are hard, and that has a profound impact. That has that has a profound impact for uh, generational for generational righteousness, and uh, and and that's a beautiful that's a beautiful picture for the future. Uh, but this morning we also identified the reality of generational sin. It's a we said sin is a me thing, it's a we thing, and it's a them thing. And so this question comes in. It says, how do we teach our children about generational sin that we are struggling with ourselves? I find child I find a child struggling with the sin I that I also struggle with. My father and my grandfather also struggled with it. So how can I help my child understand and work through this? And I just love this question. I love, I love the heart that comes from it as a parent, as a mom or a dad who's ever asking this question. Um, the, the, the question here of I, I'm growing in this, and I'm growing in this through my relationship with Christ, and I want to see my children continue to break this generational pattern, right? And, and again, when we think about generational sin, um, it, it is it is the repeated sinful patterns that are handed down to us that are inherited uh, by us from our previous generations. Okay, this could be in the way that you handle your finances, right? Just um, we don't think about our finances on a godly perspective. Well, we didn't arrive to that point by ourselves. We were we inherited that. We watched that. Right? Maybe it's the way that you treat your spouse, react to your spouse, react to your children, react to your friends. Right? Um, I've shared time and time again that. One of the generational things in my life is that of my temper. I've inherited it honestly, um, you know, chip off the old block. Yet I'm, I've watched Jesus do a significant work in my life to rewrite that script. And I'm watching him do a significant work in the lives of my family members in that arena, right? And so, um, so, so we, we do have this pattern of generational sin. And so this, this question is coming in, how do we break it? How do we break it? And how do I help my children break it? Well, I think one of the first steps is to identify, right? Uh, one of the first steps is to identify uh, if the generational sin that is within our families. And, and all of our families have generational sin in them. Why? Because all of our families have sin in them. Even if we've been following Jesus, if our family has a, a wonderful legacy of following Jesus for a long time, all of our families have, 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 have that kind of brokenness in us because all of us have sin, right? So we have to first identify those things and not dismiss them and not dismiss them. Uh, how do we identify those things? Well, we, we begin and we just start by looking our, at our family, our family lines, our lineages. You can literally make a family tree and just start, start to start to map out any, any, uh, you know, deficiencies, disorder, desires that kept perpetually coming up within, within the, the lines of your family. If you go to, if you go to the study questions for this week, uh, on the, on the website, the Nehemiah study questions, actually in the application section, I've got a, I've got a list here to follow through of how to identify some generational sin, right? Or generational dysfunctions, uh, that we'll experience. We do this by making a family tree. Um, some of those dysfunctions could be divorce, substance abuse, addiction, jealousy, manipulation, anger, speaking before thinking, right? Uh, they could be, they could be more than that. Jealousy, um, uh, you know, gossip, right? Um, all kinds of, all kinds of different, uh, dysfunctions we can begin to uncover. And when we see them in our lives, but then when we begin to see them in previous generations, you go, Oh, well, one, maybe it's not just me, right? Maybe there's something bigger going on here than just me, but we're called to be responsible before the Lord. So 
So then as I begin to trace those dysfunctions and those generational sins, right, now I begin to trace the, uh, note the names and the relationships that were impacted by them, right? How did it impact me personally, right? And then, and then finally, we just have to, we have to walk forward. We have to walk forward in understanding what is God's preference in those, in those areas. Uh, so how do we talk about that with our kids? Well, one, when things go wrong, we talk about it with our kids. We identify it. We own it. We own up to it. And not just we own up to the wrong thing that we did or the wrong way that we handled something, uh, that we, own, we, we give a picture, we talk about what God's preferred future is, right? And then, and then even when we are walking through it, it's not just, we shouldn't just talk about those things when, they're, when we're going through, the, when, when it's been wrong, right? When we've done the wrong thing, when we need to apologize. We need to apologize to our kids as parents. When we've, been, when we've wronged them, we need to apologize to them. But it's also talking about when it went right. You know what I mean? And so um, I shared an example a while ago about I was at a football game with my kids and there were just a multitude of things that were going on and there were some bad behavior for my kids and some things that frustrated me. And, and, and what I've learned, one of the things that I've learned to do in, in, in breaking that sort of generational pattern uh, of, of anger within my, within my life is that I, I need to step back and think before I speak, right? Uh, and, and, and often what that allows me to do is just to get clarity on the situation. And so, um, so my kids and I, we got home, right? Thank, you know, I, I knew it's obviously disciplining your children in public. Sometimes you have to do that. This wasn't the right time nor the right place nor the right environment for that. It wouldn't have gone over well uh, for my kids. And so we waited till we got home. Now they knew that I was upset, right? I mean, they can, they can tell when I'm, when I'm not, uh, when I'm not very pleased with some behavior, um, so they knew that I, that I was upset. I told them we were going to talk about it when we get home. Um, and then, and then I, I took some time when we got home. I just I sent them, you know, I said, hey, you guys go play. I'm going to come back to you in, in half an hour, and we're going to talk about this. And what that time allowed me to do is, was to be able to dissect and say, okay, what are you really upset about? What's, what's a valid thing that you're upset about? What are the valid things that you're upset about um, that pertain to your children? And what needs to be addressed with your children, right? Because there were, there were, there were, what I came to realize in that moment was there were multiple things within that night that I was upset about and had valid reasons to be upset about them. Only, only a handful of them were actually valid reasons to be upset with my children about. And even fewer than those, uh, even a smaller proportion of those were, were things that needed to be specifically addressed, right? And so what I was able to do with my kids was able to say, hey, look, I, but I took the time and we're going to talk about this and there are going to be some consequences for some actions. But I took the time in order to be able to speak to you well about these things. Here's everything that I was frustrated about. Here are the things that I was frustrated about that weren't your fault, that were outside of your control, right? One of the things that I was, I was frustrated about that were outside of their control is just the physical environment. They couldn't hear me. And, and because they couldn't hear me, they couldn't respond to my instruction. Now, that's not their fault. I can't get mad at them or I can't hold that against them or punish that punish them for that, right? I needed to step back and realize that. In the moment, super hard, right? I'm, I'm like seeing red and, and really frustrated. Then the third side, right? So here's the things that weren't your fault. Here are the things that were outside of your control. And then here are the things that I expect of you no matter where we're at and whatever we're doing, okay? These are the things that you should know that you just need to be obedient for all the time. And we address those things, right? And I'm not, I didn't have to yell at them. I didn't have to lose my temper. I didn't have to apologize for them the way that I spoke to them. And um, and so, and then in that moment, we want to say, hey guys, 
this is me trying to work on this, right? This is me trying to um, be a more Jesus-centered dad and, and able to walk them through the process of, of not just why, not just the things that we needed to talk about from their behavioral perspective, but but how I how you how you come to that. So I think that's that's how we that's how we work with our kids too. It's not just not just identifying the wrong things or the bad things. You need to do that. But also also modeling for them a better a better way and talking about that better way. Right. Because so often um, I see it in my kids. Um, you know, they they came by their temper naturally. They're a chip off the old block as well. And so I have to walk with them and help them to figure out how to how, how to handle those things well. And so, so it's a journey. It's a journey of handling, handling those things off well. And I don't want them just to grow up and go, man, my dad was a really patient guy. I wonder, I wonder, you know, I thought everybody was just supposed to be patient when it's like, man, um, I've had to work hard to grow in my, in my, in my patience, um, and, and the patience of, of Christ, you know, uh, that models or reflects Jesus's patience. So, um, yeah, I want my kids to walk through that and see that. So there, there's maybe some just boots on the ground, uh, example there of what I'm doing in my life. This this other question comes about confession, and it asks this: How can we genuinely confess if we don't genuinely feel guilty, or if there is another emotion like anger in the way of, of genuine confession? I think that is a that's a great question, right? Um, and that's that's part of it is to understand what if if I feel like there's nothing I need to confess, there's something actually there's a roadblock whether it's pride, whether it's anger. Um, whether it's, it's, it's depression, it's fear, um, right. It could be a, it could be a mall myriad of, of, of emotions that I'm feeling that it's actually preventing me from coming face to face with things that I need to confess so that I can find healing and I can find freedom. Right. Um, if that's you, if you're in the place where I just don't feel like I need to confess anything, um, I think that would be a great place to begin to start and to ask the question why. And we, we ask the question, why, in light of the scriptures. In Psalm 19, David asks, uh, King David, he asks God to make him as low as hyssop, right? And to, um, or maybe it's not Psalm 19, he asked him to make him as low as hyssop. He asked him in Psalm 19 to uncover the hidden things of his heart, right? Wow. Maybe that's the prayer that we just begin to um uh, to, to pray, right? When David asked the Lord to make him as low as hyssop, I can't remember what Psalm that was specifically. Hyssop is a very low growing shrub. And, uh, and so it's, it's a posture or a picture of humility. And so David wants to be humble, but he also wants God to uncover the hidden things of his heart. Like maybe that's, if, if we're struggling and we go, I just don't have anything to confess. Maybe it's our prayer needs to be that of David. Lord, uncover the hidden things of my heart. Lord, reveal in me uh, the the depth of my sin, and and you know what? When I've prayed that prayer, because I have prayed that prayer, um, man, God will God will begin to unravel for me in the everyday moments of my life, where he's where he'll just show again. Maybe I wasn't patient. Maybe I wasn't kind. Maybe I wasn't generous to the people that are in my life. Maybe and he'll start to uncover maybe the motives of my heart. Am I doing this for his glory or for my glory, right? Um, am I filled with jealousy, you know, or am I, am I truly delighting in other people? And God will just begin to uncover some things that were hidden deep down in my heart when I was like, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing fine, you know. Um, when I begin to pray that prayer, he begins to break through some of those things. The other side of think confession is sometimes when we're in that position, we need to confess with somebody else, not just privately to the Lord. Yes, privately to the Lord. 
but also we need to confess to somebody else, particularly in the corporate discipline of confession, and to hear somebody else say that the Lord forgives you, right? And so, um, so part of it is is when we when we grow in guilt, guilt is not shame. Okay, shame forces us to hide because we know we've done something wrong and we don't want to be found out. Guilt is this feeling where we go, okay, I know that I've done something wrong and I need to own up for it, right? And so, um, so, so feeling guilty is not necessarily a bad thing or a wrong thing. Um, and if we're not, if we don't feel that, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be walking around all the time just being guilt-ridden, you know, people that are buried under the weight of our sin. In Christ, we have been set free from our sin. Um, but at the same time, we should be able to be, as we grow in our awareness of God's grace, we are also growing in the awareness of the depth of our sin. And uh, that's a beautiful gift of God's grace there, right, is that he meets us with greater grace for our sin. And in that process, we, uh, as we continue to confess, continue to repent, continue to grow in the depth of God's grace and the reality of God's grace in and over our lives, we also are coming to understanding the depth of our sin, and yet we're not crushed by it. You know, and so that's a beautiful thing that God does in our lives that we understand more and more what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross for you and me, what it meant for Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for you and me, right? Um, and so, uh, so as we grow in God's grace, we also grow in the depth of the, our understanding of that of the atonement of Jesus' sacrifice and of the reality of our sin. And so again, we're not we walk around as guilt-ridden people. No, um, but if if we if we're not growing in our awareness of our sin, uh, then we probably need to ask the question why, and uh, and ask what is that roadblock roadblock that is preventing us from there, and let our we'll let our prayer in that moment be that of David, Lord, un, uh, uncover the hidden things of of my heart, and so um, all of that will come out of the posture of wanting to be more more like Jesus, right? Uh, the, the righteous Pharisee that thinks that he's fine is not going to want to pray that prayer. So even in this question, even in the vulnerability and the honesty of this question, I love it because it is reflective of a heart that wants to be more like Jesus. And so um, this is a very real thing. This is a very real struggle for, for everybody following Jesus. We can, get, we, can get, we can get stuck in our own patterns of righteousness, and yet we need God to continually to break through and chip away at our hearts so that we don't lose our first, so that we, we don't lose the intimacy of our first love. And uh, so that we continue to grow and know Christ day after day, um, and not just know about him, but truly know him, to have that identity saturation that we're seeing in the book of Nehemiah. So again, love these questions, love interacting here on the podcast with your questions as we as we chew on the word of God uh, together, because as I said this morning, we truly believe that the Word of God has authority and power to speak to every moment and every situation uh, of our lives, our hearts, of our conditions. And uh, and when we open the Word of God and we allow God to speak to us, He reveals to us a better, more complete uh, future. And so we want to lean into that future uh, with and through Jesus. So love the discussion and can't wait to keep having it through the book of Nehemiah.